following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. I'm Doug Barlett. I've been around Artisan probably 10 years since my son came home one Sunday afternoon and told me about this really interesting church he visited. So, um, sorry, Scott, this is going to come out like preaching, but it's written that way. This is Paul talking to the, the young church at Corinth. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all the parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave, or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So, people feeling on the outside. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. And then he talks to the in-in crowd. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. These those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All right. We are in the second week of this series called Church, Why Bother? It's a question that might be on your minds. It's a question that's on a lot of people's minds, I think. Um, Something that I have observed is that post-pandemic, uh, church attendance and participation is sporadic compared to what it was like pre-pandemic. That's not just true in this church. I have contacts with lots of people who are in the church world, and everybody is observing this same thing. There's been studies done that uh, validate this uh, in a more scientific way. And it's actually true across all kinds of community activities. It's not just religious organizations. You know, the Elks Lodge is feeling this. The community choir and theater troupe is feeling this. Uh, I talked last week about how the pandemic made us kind of stop doing everything. And we realized, you know what? I don't like doing everything. I use the metaphor of a cardboard box full of all the junk that we do. <laughs> And on, when COVID hit, we all just dumped it out on the table and said, hey, look, an empty box. And then when it came time to put stuff back in the box, we're like, I'm not putting everything back in the box. Some of the stuff doesn't go in my box anymore. Some of the stuff 
needs to go to goodwill. <laughs> Let somebody else have that. Right? Some of it I might, maybe will do, but not yet. I'm not ready to go all the way back into everything that I was doing before. All of this is totally normal. I affirm this as a healthy way of emerging from the experience that we all just had together. Right? I get it. Church is one of the things that was in the box for you that got dumped out on the table. Um, sort of by definition, the people who are in the room or in the Zoom or on the Facebook are at least on the bubble about putting that item back in their box of stuff that they do. Right? Many people might listen to this later and be like, I haven't been to church since 2019. I'm not sure I'm going back. I want to tell you, I get it. I get it. It doesn't make you a bad person to be asking the question, Church, why bother? I get it, and I've given you a no guilt trip guarantee for this series. <laughs> there is no guilt trip in any of the sermons in this series from me. But I also do want to invite you into something more, or at least invite you to consider or reconsider whether church is something that's worth bothering with. And... and if you still are kind of, a lot of us still are in that sort of default mode, you know. The pandemic happened, I kept worshiping on Zoom, we came back in person, I came back in person, that's what it is. I don't think about it, I've never thought about it, I just go to church. For you, I would like you also to ask the question and hopefully answer the question, church, why bother? Because I want you to be thinking about this stuff um, with intention and purpose. All right, so it's a three-week series with a surprise bonus week in the fourth week, which I'm not going to tell you about yet. But you want to be there. Uh, last week we talked about you. The answer to this question is given in three pronouns, by the way. Last week, church, why bother? You. It was all about you and what church can offer to you as an individual person. This week is church, why bother us? Now, I don't mean why bother us. <laughs> I mean, that's the answer to why bother us. You see, there's a question mark and then a period. It's, it's <laughs> this is really a sermon about belonging. The message, I'm just going to give you the point right up front, and then we'll kind of go back to the, one of the texts from today and unpack it a little bit. The message is that you matter and you belong. And the you from last week makes up the us from this week. You make us. Does that make sense? It's a sermon about belonging. And if you've ever felt that you didn't belong in church because of who you are, I want, to, I want you to hear this part very clearly. That was the fault of the church, not the fault of who you are. Right? Now listen, some people are not ready for community, right? Some people behave in a way that's abusive or harmful, uh, and you know, sometimes they're asked to separate from communities that they wish to be part of. That's not what I'm talking about. That is an unfortunate thing that sometimes does have to happen. I'm talking about when you have been told implicitly or explicitly that you are not worthy of being part of church because of who you are, and if you felt left out and like you didn't belong because of who you are, that was the fault of the church, not the fault of who you are. Right? And that goes for us too, by the way. We are not a perfect church. At least a handful of people have told me over the years that they were, in one way or another, made to feel like they didn't belong here. That's because being in community is very hard. It's very, very hard work to be in community. 
But it's worth it. I deeply, honestly believe that it's worth the work. Our main passage today, the main passage that I'm going to use for this sermon is 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12 through 27. You heard it read earlier. It's the one that talks about how um, we are one body with many parts. It's a fairly famous classic passage from the Christian scriptures. I have a couple of quick notes about it before I get into the kind of, you know, uh, what I would call the, um, the teaching about it. Uh, first of all, in the reading, and as I talk about it today, we're going to be referring to the NIV translation of the Bible. Now, the red Bibles that you have all around you, the ones that we use for 99% of the readings here at Artisan, are the NRSV. You don't need to go too far into the weeds here. It's two different groups that translated the same Greek text into two different English translations. They are very, 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 very similar. There are some differences that sometimes matter to our understanding of the text as we read it in English. I don't know about you, I don't read Greek very well. And I actually took some of it in college. So um, we need those English translations. I know just enough to know that I really vastly prefer the NIV's translation of this text to the NRSV's, and I'll tell you why. The NIV is what gives us we are one body with many parts. The NRSV gives us we are one body with many members, right? Now, this means the same thing. You know, member can mean body part. Um, think of the word dismember. It means to separate the parts of a body, right? Or, um, you know, if you follow my friend, Pastor Judy Howard Peterson, on Instagram, she posts a lot. Whenever she uses the word remember, she puts a little dash in there. Remember. It, remembering is the act of putting the body back together, right? So the word member is a valid translation of the Greek word, which is referring to body parts, but it doesn't make any sense in this context. And in fact, it's misleading because when you hear the word member in the context of a Christian community, what's the first thing you think about? Membership, as in a club. And that is not at all what this text is about. It's not at all where I want to go as I teach this text. So we're going to use the NIV today, which says we are one body with many parts. In other words, body parts. That's the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses in this text. That's the first note before I get into the teaching. The second note is this. This passage about being one body with many parts is one of several that is used from the New Testament as a lever to coerce people into being more involved in a community than they are comfortable being. More involved than might be healthy for them. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, God bless you. I'm not going to go any further into explaining it. But some of you know, and if you know, you know. And I'm sorry to say, and I apologize on behalf of my people, being, my people being pastors, um, that that happened to you. It's, I, I regret that you were made to feel like you were not doing enough stuff to be a valid part of any Christian community because of passages like this. In other words, they would say, you have so many gifts. Everybody has a gift, and we need you to use yours. Pump it into the system so that we can do this and that and the other thing. So, much like last week, if you're hearing in, in this passage from the Bible a little bit of the shame and um, manipulation that sometimes happens in church, I'm giving you permission to um, kind of release those expectations. That's not where I'm going at all with this passage today. What I do want to do with this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, is give you three concepts. 
Two of them are tempting falsehoods. In other words, inaccuracies, maybe even lies, that we are drawn to saying and hearing and applying to our life. Two tempting falsehoods. And then the third concept is one monumental truth, one deeply important, accurate thing that I need you to know and believe and internalize. Now, I don't need you to do it, but I, I really hope and pray that you will. The premise here is that, that, that this worth keeping in mind is that the Apostle Paul, who we believe wrote this letter to a church or churches in the city of Corinth, would not have written these things if the people did not, to, did not need to hear them. You get what I'm saying? This letter would not have been written, the words in it would not have been penned if the people didn't need to hear it. Something to keep in mind as we go. So why would this idea, this metaphor of the body with many parts have been necessary? I would submit to you that one reason is because of the unlikely makeup of the early Christian church. Right? Now, all groups have trouble being together. Every group has trouble being together. They all need a little bit of guidance. But this group needed some special guidance because it was such an unlikely assemblage of different types of people. Check out how he sets up the metaphor of the church as one body with many parts. He says, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. By the way, I love that metaphor. I'm not going to go there either, but we're given the spirit to drink. What a fun idea. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Do you see the tension right there between oneness and manyness? One body, one spirit, many parts. The great diversity that was being gathered together by the Holy Spirit in this Christian community was being called into, from all of their difference, being called into similarity and one common uh, group and one common purpose. Right? So Jews or Gentiles, people with different religions were being called into this Christian movement, which probably wasn't qualified to be called a religion of itself, of its own just yet. And maybe, maybe we were all better off before that was the case, actually. Slave or free? Slave People who were enslaved and, and free people gathering together in the Roman Empire as if they were on level ground when the entire structure of the Roman Empire was based on hierarchy and free people being inherently better than enslaved people. Now they're sitting around in the same room eating at the same table. By the way, other parts of that hierarchy included the fact that maleness was inherently more important and powerful than femaleness. And in the early Christian church, you begin to see women not only being involved, but starting to express and exert leadership that the Spirit had gifted them to express and exert. And that was causing problems. Rising above their station, you might imagine somebody looking sideways and saying. There was at least one eunuch who was invited into the Christian community The poor were being given a seat at the table. All right, so across racial and ethnic and gender and religious and class lines, there's this incredible diversity happening. And when that happens, it's a beautiful, wonderful, amazing, blessed thing. And it gets a little confusing. It gets a little difficult. You start to have some friction. You, you encounter differences that you didn't expect and you don't know what to do with them. So yes, the early Christian church was a wacky bunch. 
And it had become hard for them to live together in harmony and peace sometimes. And the spoiler alert of spoiler alerts here is that we are going to see ourselves in some of their problems and interpersonal challenges, if we look at it honestly. And we're going to be called to the same correction that Paul gave the church in Corinth. So, once again, two tempting falsehoods, one monumental truth. Here's the first tempting falsehood. And if you think I'm going to put this on the screen or hand you something to fill in the blank, that's not how I roll. This is up here. You're going to put the thing in the part of your mind, or you're going to write it down on your own piece of paper that you brought with you, or put it on your phone, whatever you want to do. The first tempting falsehood is this. I do not belong to the body. And it would be going on to say, because I am not like so-and-so. If you, in your heart of hearts, believe that you do not belong to the body of Christ, especially because that's on the basis of you not being like someone else who seems like they really do fit in, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, and I think by proxy saying to you right now, that's not accurate. You cannot say, I'm not a part of the body, and I don't belong to this body because I'm not somebody else. Have you ever had an occasion where you suddenly realized you were in the wrong room? Uh, <laughs> um, I tried out for the varsity baseball team in ninth grade, and I was in the wrong room. <laughs> My voice didn't change until the summer between ninth and tenth grade. There's no shame in that. Um, but correspondingly, I was not physically ready to play varsity baseball. <laughs> Um, have you ever been invited to a party where you were nowhere near classy enough to be at the party? Or maybe too classy? <laughs> maybe you showed up with a little too much sparkle and sequin and you realized that they were just there to watch the Bills game? <laughs> uh, maybe you've been hired to work for a company and you got there and you realized your skill set is all wrong. Maybe even worse, your values do not align with the values of the company that hired you. What's your comparison story? What's your story of showing up in a room and looking around and going, uh-oh, I don't fit here. I am not a part of this body because I'm not like these people. You all have a story in your head right now? Has it ever happened to you in church? You get to church and you look around and you're like, uh-oh. I do not belong to the body because I am not like these other people. Paul says that is not something you can say. It's not an accurate statement. Now we have to assume on a certain level that the church is functioning the way it's called to function. But if that's in place... If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. I love how he frames this. It's not like, you know, if the foot says it's not part of a body, we're like, oh, sure you are. We, we're fine with foots. Feet. <laughs> I know how to pluralize. <laughs> we're fine with foots. <laughs> he doesn't say it that way. He says, the fact that you are a foot means you are part of the body. That's how bodies work. You don't get to define yourself out. 
based on who you are. Because that is not how God made bodies to be. In fact, he says, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I was thinking about this idea of of a puzzle piece, you know, because a lot of times we think, oh, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. There's a great song by Lemonheads that says uh, about this girl named Allison. She's the puzzle piece behind the couch that made the sky complete. Isn't that a great lyric? But what it says is that the sky is kind of like the most important part of the puzzle, and it's not until we have the sky all in place that the puzzle's done. But you know how puzzles work, don't you? It doesn't matter which piece is missing. It doesn't matter if it's the sky or the ground or this little space of color that is the most frustrating one sometimes. Um, Any piece that's missing, when the puzzle is otherwise fully assembled, stands out like a a sore thumb. Any missing puzzle piece makes the puzzle incomplete. It's not just the ones in the sky. It's still a great lyric. So tempting falsehood number one is, I do not belong to the body. If you are tempted to say of yourself, I do not belong to the body, I disagree. And I think the Apostle Paul does too. Tempting falsehood number two. Once you've gotten past tempting falsehood number one and you're all in place and you're thinking, ah, I have finally arrived, I'm here, I'm in my skin. Now you are at the precipice of the next tempting falsehood, which is to say of someone else, I don't need you. It is very, very easy to imagine some other person at some other church saying this about you, and you going, didn't you learn about tempting falsehood number one? (laughs) We have hard work to do because this is not a problem that only other churches struggle with. It's a problem that we struggle with too. We look around and we say, I don't need that person, that person, or that person. And in fact, my life would be a little better if they went to a different church. Paul frames this particular part of the passage Um, around what he calls weakness and dishonor. He even kind of goes into this, maybe stretching the analogy a little too far about uh, the parts of the body that are like, should be kept covered up and stuff. Like we're not going to body shame in this sermon, but um, I think it's very easy for us to kind of turn tempting falsehood number two back into tempting falsehood number one and say, people think I'm vulnerable and dishonorable and I do belong. And God bless you, you do. Never lose sight of that fact. But what if we have a slightly kind of different version of that problem where the people who we think don't belong are the ones who are not um, evolved enough in their thinking, are the ones who are a little bit unkind in the way they do things, the ones who are not quite as accepting as we would like our body to be. I hope, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those people, that they will continue to grow and become more the people who God wants them to be. And maybe we could leave aside the idea of them being the people that we want them to be, but maybe there's some overlap between those two types of people. I look around at Artisan Church and I think, um, you know, I'm a person who has to preach a different kind of um, 
fiery sermon because this is a different type of people. This community is filled with people who've been kind of cast out and marginalized and abused and, and been hurt by church. And I'm, it is, I, I cannot say enough to you how it is the true honor of my entire life's calling and career that God has blessed me with your presence. You don't need to be told uh, in a fiery kind of way <laughs> to get your act together about this or that thing. But maybe what, what some of you need to be told, and absolutely what I sometimes need to be told, is that um, th- there's, there's other ways to open the doors to God's church wider than the church wants them to be opened. Am I being obtuse, or are you getting my point? Maybe both. Paul sort of says that weakness and dishonor should be actually badges of honor in the church. The ones who are deemed the weakest and most, uh, you know, m- most dishonorable are the ones who, should, who kind of get the glory. And that's a really challenging idea. And if we only imagine it to be a challenge for other people in other churches, I think that's a fallacy that we often are at risk of making when we read Scripture. So the tempting falsehood number two is to look around to anybody and say, I don't need you, because it's not just that those people who you kind of wish you didn't have to interact with ought to be allowed to come to church. It's actually much more difficult than that. It's that you need those people in some way, in some shape, in some form. So those are the tempting falsehoods. Now let me get to the monumental truth, the thing that is truly like earth-shattering. This is a two-part monumental truth. It says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's where our passage ended today. I believe it's verse 27. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Years ago, one of our founding pastors, um, Brian Hake, when he, when he did the... Um, benediction, he would remind our community that the church is not a building. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ, and you are the church. So go be the church in the world. Sometimes I still say stuff like this when we do that, but I never quite get it as well as as I think he did. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ, and you, plural, are the body of Christ. There's a famous prayer by St. Teresa of Avila. It says, Christ has no body now but yours. Um, I'm actually going to show a a very brief video that's going to invite you into praying those words. It's a very Ignatian spirituality kind of prayer. And so um, I have just a couple very brief concluding remarks after this prayer, but will you kind of join with me in making this a prayer together as we watch this short video? Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. 
By the way, there's a beautiful song from the Porter's Gate troupe that Josh Garrels is the singer on that, that uses those phrases as a prayer. And, and maybe we'll incorporate those into our repertoire at some point here. This is really a powerful truth that Christ has no body on earth now but yours. The work of Christ is not carried out physically by the person of Jesus on earth anymore. The work of Christ is carried out by you, by me, by us. And next week, we're going to transition from us to we. And I teased you last week that it's a, it's a grammatical distinction that's very important. This has been about us. What is it that makes us who we are? You know, uh, it's in the, the, the object portion of the sentence, if you think of it that way. Next week is about we. What are we going to do together? And this prayer from Teresa of Avila, I think, is such a beautiful transition to that. I want you to be thinking about this week. What does it mean that Christ has no body now on earth but ours, but yours? You are a part of us, each one of you. And I'm so grateful. And I hope that you will take that to heart, that you will live into that as a truth. I'm going to invite you to take communion now. We're going to sing another song or two together. Here's what I want you to know. Come to this table because you are a part of us. You are not just valid. You are treasured. You are not just accepted. You are necessary. So as you come to the table through the middle, prepare to dip the bread and the wine or the juice, I want you to look back and look ahead Look left and look right at all the other people in this community taking communion at this same table. No one you see is more important than you. No one you see is a better body part or member than you. You are vital. Christ says it is so. And this is his table, the table not of the church but of the Lord. We have prepared it for you and for us because you are part of us. You are part of him. You are the body of Christ. So come and receive into your own body the body of Christ. Our table's open now. Let's continue to worship him. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.